Glad to be here tonight. It's good to see you. And um, I'm glad that we are talking about the doctrine of God. And it's very important and for us not to automatically assume that everybody knows who God is. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take quite a bit of time on Wednesday nights to talk about God. And tonight we're talking about the existence of God. So maybe you've had conversations with people and they say, well, tell me, prove to me that God is real. I think we're going to find it truly enlightening tonight that within the heart of every man, there is the knowledge that there is God, but yet there's a problem within man that hinders that understanding of who is God and following God, and then also that we look all around us and that we can see the evidence of God and his creation. His creation is important. We're part of that creation, and we can look to creation and see that someone bigger must have created these things and how specific everything lines up together. We'll look at that. Now, I'm going to tell you that I encourage you, you can use the notes page that you have. We even punch holes in there for you if you want to make a nice little notebook, okay? But you may want to bring a notebook with you on Wednesday nights and just a good writing pen and take notes. If you miss something, we are going to put this up online, okay? And for you to go back and listen to or maybe encourage others. Um, This is going to be Wednesday nights. We're going to be more like a... a deeper study, okay, so we're going to be flipping through the Bible a good bit, so if you have a Bible, if you want to go ahead and take that Bible, open up the book of Romans, and we're going to be a good part of our time in Romans tonight, Romans chapter 1, and we will do some flipping, and here's one thing I want to encourage you with, as you're flipping through your Bible, it's a beautiful sound, so as we hear the flipping of the pages of the Bible, that is a good thing. Now, some have to flip through the pages a little bit longer than others do to find certain books of the Bible, all right, that's okay. All right, that is all right. If you're flipping for a while and the neighbor looks up to you and says, hey, you need some help? You say, yeah, show me where that, that book is. Don't be ashamed of that. I think that's one of the things that uh, discouraged me the most is I was afraid that people would know around me that I didn't know where certain books of the Bible are, okay? Just because you know where that book of the Bible is doesn't mean you know much about that book. And so I want to encourage you, do not get discouraged if it takes you a little while to find certain books as we flip the, to them tonight, Okay. Um, the existence of God, that's where we start tonight, and let's pray, and we're going to jump right in, okay? Father, you are good, and God, you are real. And Lord, that's why we take this time to pray. We're not just doing this, Lord, um, because it's what we do at the church, Lord. We have been given the wonderful privilege at this moment to pause and to talk with you. And Lord, you have created us, and you have fashioned us, and Lord, you've given us each a purpose And Lord, when we come together as the church through Christ, we recognize that this purpose is very similar to one another. And Lord, we have a true understanding of why we're here, where we came from and where we're going. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this study tonight, we would be encouraged. Lord, I pray we would challenge ourselves to dig deeper. And Father, that as a church, we'd have a great understanding of who you are. And Father, with us learning who you are as as God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that we would then grow in, in our understanding of who we are as man in the dust and, Lord, how we were formed from the dust, and we'll go back to the dust, but yet that doesn't have to be all to our lives. So, Father, truly lay this out for us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we grow. Father, I pray for strength tonight. I pray for um, a, a captive uh, church tonight, Lord, as we teach. Lord, that we would not get lost in thought of other things, that we would be captivated by your word. And so, Lord, bless this time. We thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so two things we see. Number one, 
How do we know that God exists? And here's the first one we're going to look at tonight. It's all people have an inner sense of God. Within man, there's this inner sense deep down that there's God. Okay, that's the first one we're going to look at. Number two, we have the evidence that is found in Scripture and in nature. Okay, so Scripture is evidence for us. Nature is evidence for us. Okay, so there's a deeper understanding within man that there is God. And then also we have this creation around us and we have Scripture that we hold in our hands. So let's look at number one, humanity's inner sense of God. And we turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, who is they? Who are they talking about? These are the Gentiles. Okay, so when you open up to the book of Romans, you have the Gentiles in chapter 1. And then you get to chapter 2 and you have the Jews. So here's how it works. As Paul's writing this letter, he's writing a book and is explaining salvation. Okay, how God has worked through Christ, the second Adam. Okay, how the first Adam failed, second Adam comes... And he succeeds. Now, he starts with the Gentiles, and then he speaks to the Jews. So you can imagine that as they're reading this letter, that the Gentiles are getting the brunt of this in chapter 1, the beginning of the letter. And all the Jews are like, that's right. They deserve it. You tell these Gentiles how wretched they are. But number 2, chapter 2, then it turns to the Jews. And then it's their turn to take the brunt. Because they must understand that it's not because of their heritage. It's not because they're Jewish people that they will have salvation. They need to learn something about Jesus and how he came for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. That's what's playing out in these early chapters. As we look in chapter 1, here's what we see. That for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? So we see that they knew God. There was an understanding of God. Now, to what extent? We don't know. How much knowledge did they have of God? We don't know. But we see that the problem is that they became futile in their thinking, depraved in their minds, and that their foolish hearts were darkened. They have a heart problem. So what's happening in the heart is clouding the understanding that there is a God who is good and has created the world. Okay? So all persons everywhere have a deep inner sense that God exists that they are his creatures, and that he is their creator. Now, I meant to mention this when we were first starting. A good bit of this is going to come from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Maybe you are familiar with Wayne Grudem. Maybe you are not. If you're introduced to him for the first time, I'm glad. You want to maybe check into his systematic theology book. It's quite a chunk, okay? But we are taking bits and pieces from this every week um, because... I think the man's brilliant. He does a good job of systematic theology. Ever since seminary, I have enjoyed this book, and now I'm sharing a good part of it with you. So, understanding that everywhere we have a deep inner sense that God exists. You deal with this. I deal with this. That there's this conflict of knowing that God exists, but yet man wants to be in control. That's what we're seeing here in Romans 1.21. So, for unbelievers, this is what has happened. For anyone who is not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, and let me just say, I'm glad you're here. We're, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, for unbelievers, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So they've taken what is true and they've accepted a lie. Now, this lie could come in many packages, many forms from many places, okay? It's all around us. There are lies all about denying that God exists. Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth 
about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's what's happened. They take their attention. Man takes his attention off of God the Creator and he puts it on man the creation. Or he puts it on other created things. And we see that because we are so captivated with what other people think of us. We really care what other people think of us. I, I love when people say, I don't care what people think of me. I say, oh, really? Let's, let's look at this further. I think we care more than we like to admit. All right. And so here is man, and he's living his life based on what other men think of him, what other creation thinks. And this is a hindrance to understanding that it is God that we are to serve. It is God who's created us. So if he has created us, there is a meaning for why we are here. So hold on to that. What is the meaning for why we are here? And there was something that they knew about God, and they traded it for a lie. So when we're kids, you ask a a child. Ask any child that's over there in that room over there. You may go to any public school, any private school in this community, and you say, does God exist? I believe you would be hard-pressed to find a child who says, no, God doesn't exist. Unless he has had somebody in the home that has just infiltrated with him with lies to say that God doesn't exist. Because even in our hearts from a young age, there are times when this comes out that we admit that God exists. Romans 1.19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So, as we see in Scripture... What we need to know about God is before us, for all man to see. What we're going to see soon is that man is without an excuse because God has shown around everything that we see that he is real. So how was it plain to the Gentiles? They didn't have the scripture that was read to them. Okay? They weren't together with the Jews. They were separated from the Jews. They were seen as dogs compared to the Jews. And God did not come down and reveal himself like he did to Israel when he led them out of Egypt, okay? But he did come in the flesh, and he was rejected. Now, not only was he rejected by the Jews, he was also rejected by Gentiles. They did not know him, okay? And it's plain through his creation, and this is what we see, Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? They're without excuse because it has been plainly revealed to them. It has clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we look at the things that have been made, and there's something inwardly within man that says, there's someone bigger, something much bigger, that created all of this that we have, And man chooses to exchange that truth and say, you know what, no, we just happened by a big bang. Or I'm not quite sure where we came from, but I don't believe that it was God. I'm just going to say this, not God, and I'm going to say this so vehemently, or I'm just going to speak it with such truth like I believe it so that you have to accept that there is no God. How could you ever think that there is a God? Because inwardly within us, we see around us that someone bigger had to create these things. So, a few illustrations that we can see. Maybe when you wake up early and you watch the sun faithfully rise. It happens every morning. 
Okay. Actually, it's not the sun rising or setting, right? It's us revolving, okay? So we're moving constantly, but it's faithful every day. And so if you're so fortunate to wake up early and get out, like I did this morning, so I'm not going to brag, it's, it's rare, but two times this week I have seen the sun come up, okay? And you go, wow, Lord, it's beautiful. In fact, that sunrise doesn't look like the sunrise you did the day before and the day before. God, you're so faithful. I mean, that leads me. When I see the sunrise, it leads me to praise God. I don't look to my wife and say, what? You are amazing. Look at that sunrise. Way to go, Curry. No, my Curry, she's awesome. Okay, I love her. Nine years today, baby. I love you. All right? So, nine years. But I don't look to her and say, wow, that's great. No, I look to God. I'm saying, wow, you're so faithful that all of this continues. Why? Because there's something inwardly working in me that God is doing, but it's something inwardly in with every man that when he sees the sunrise, he has to give joy and credit to somebody. So what does an unbeliever do when he sees the sunrise? Wow, that's, that's nice. But how could you be filled so with joy if you don't believe it's that God did it? It's just some happenstance. Faithfully, day after day after day, what you will know that if you have a new day, the sun is rising. Or to sit in the woods and see creation interact with one another. Who likes to deer hunt? Come on, South Georgia, raise your hand. Rob, you don't like to deer hunt? Okay, all right, all right, there it is, all right. I mean, I, I like to deer hunt. You know, you, some people think that's weird. they like, you like to hunt? And I'm like, what do you think of me? Man, you don't like to hunt, right? But I, I'll sit in the deer stand, and, and, you know, one of the things that frustrates me about hunting the most is you think there's a big deer, like, walking behind you. And I'm just going to tell you, if this offends you, I'm going to shoot that big deer if I see it. And I'm probably not going to hit it, so don't worry. Um, but you hear this big deer walking, and then all of a sudden you realize it's not a deer at all. It's squirrels. Squirrels in the leaves. And if you sit in a deer stand and you're heavily anticipating a deer walking out, and then it's a squirrel or an armadillo that's been crawling for 50 feet, you go, ah, oh, man. But what's neat is to sit there in the woods, or maybe you take a walk in a park, and you just watch. Just, just watch creation at work. So many times you miss it. But you'll notice this too. Here in South Georgia, almost every night, every evening around 6.30-ish, you'll see, um, and, and y'all going to have to help me because I'm not as educated as this, but I see it every day. You see two birds flying together. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else seeing this? Raise your hand if you see this, Okay. All right, what is it, Charlie? Do you know what it is? What kind of geese, all right? And they, they stay together, right? I mean, for, for life. But you see them together every night. I mean, it's clockwork. They fly over our house. And I'm going, wow, God, you are so faithful in your creation. Look at how all of this works. And there's so many things that we miss because we get busy with the hustle and bustle. But if you just calm down and look at the beauty of creation around you, maybe it's a walk through the woods, a walk in the park, um, maybe you go to the beach and you try to wrap your mind around the vastness of the sea. And you go, wow, how is this here? And where Scripture tells us that he scooped out the oceans with his hands. Or patiently, you try to count the stars and then you get frustrated and you have to start again and then you just get lost in count because you can't keep up with all the stars. Or now, as we have the ability to see earth as a tiny Blip on the magnificent canvas of this world. You just sit back and go, wow, look at this place. 
and yet it seems so big, but yet it's so small compared to everything else. And you look and you go, God, you've created all these things. There's so much we don't know. I mean, we're, we're trying. We're trying to learn a lot about Mars here lately, okay? I mean, people just want to see life on Mars. All right? Or you visit the hospital room of a newborn baby, and you look at that little child and those little fingers, and you say, man, I forget. I forget how, how small they are. And you look at life, and you go, someone's much greater here. God did this work in the womb. I mean, this baby was in the womb yesterday, and now I'm holding this baby. Look at what God has done. And yet, this is many ways in which we see God at work, and it takes the hardness of the heart to go, nope, God is nowhere involved in this. So we should see these things and quickly acknowledge God as the author and creator of it all. Foolish man rejects the truth. And it's the foolishness that all of us possess, okay? It's not that you can look at somebody and say, you are such a fool. How could you never believe that there's God? It should make sense to us, actually, because of sin, why man doesn't believe in God. Because we know how dark and wretched sin is. All of us deal with it. All of us are seeking to do it less and less. And then we look at these who are struggling with it, and they're enslaved to sin. They're blinded, and they cannot see the Creator. This is what's happening. And so it's the foolishness within man that says there is no God. In fact, that's not me just saying that. That's Scripture, Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 53, 1. It is the fool that says, who says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 10, 3 and 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So the wicked, his thoughts revolve around an enormous lie from the enemy. Think about that. That everything he thinks, everything he does, and the way he reasons, it revolves around the lie saying that God is not real. How do you have joy? How do you have love? How do you have peace? How do you have comfort if it's revolving around that lie? That's why there should be such a change in the new creation. That's why our lives should never be the same when now our lives revolve around God is real. God exists. Sin leads people to think irrationally and deny God's existence. It is someone who is thinking irrationally or has been deceived, who will say, there is no God. And Paul also recognizes that sin will cause people to deny their knowledge of God. He says this in Romans 1.18, who by their unrighteousness, by what? Unrighteousness. Suppress the truth. Why do people suppress the truth? Why do people try to kick out the idea that God did create all of these things, that we get to a stopping point to say, okay, come on, guys. Let let us look at space. Let us look at the depths of the sea. Let us look at the details within creation and a created being, a human being in the way his body or her body functions. And we got to go, wow, there's someone bigger out there, right? But it's the unrighteousness of man that suppresses that truth. See, we think it's knowledge, right? People think, oh, they're smart. That is a smart atheist over there. Man, he'll make you feel dumb. But really, what's guiding him, or I would say what's blinding him, is unrighteousness. And for that, we should have pity on that person. We should have pity, not in that we should then go to them 
and continue to share with them the hope that lives within us. That those who do this are without excuse. For this denial is of God, or to God. Romans 1.20. They're without excuse. So understand this. No one is without excuse. What? Why? Why? Because there's been a general revelation of who God is. It's there for everybody to see. We want to look at those who are in nations that are hearing the gospel. In distant lands. Places that, just truthfully, many of us, it's not even on our radar to go share with them Jesus. And we say, well, you know, maybe God will give them a pass. Maybe God will have compassion. And he'll recognize that they lived in a place that didn't hear about Jesus. I mean, surely God wouldn't judge them, as we talked about on Sunday, to an eternity of hell. But if he's faithful to his promises and to his word, he will. And they're without an excuse. Just like everyone is without an excuse. Why are they without an excuse? Because through his general revelation of himself... He's revealed who he is. But it's the hardness of man's heart that denies. It's the unrighteousness of man that suppresses this truth. Is that an excuse? No. He must be judged due to that. And so with that, we see that there is a huge problem within man that suppresses the truth. Okay, Romans 1.23, Romans 1.25, Romans 1.28, and Romans 1.32 reveals a series of active verbs indicating that this is a willful suppression of the truth. That man doesn't want to believe this. Some deny that they have an inner sense of God. But their awareness of God will often make itself evident in a time of personal crisis when deep-seated convictions of the heart show themselves in outward words and deeds. So here's what we mean by that. People say, I don't believe in God. But when tragedy hits, who do they start talking about? Who do they start blaming the tragedy on? Who do they run to for help? As we see, and I think it's only appropriate you use this, that 9-11 happens, many people run to the church house because it's the greatest authority that they know. They can deny that he exists, but when it comes to utter fear and chaos, they're running to the greatest authority So there is something within man, deep down, that says God is real, but I'm going to suppress that due to my unrighteousness. But when I have nowhere else to go, when I have no other options, I will call out for God. In fact, I was watching a clip not long ago of of a documentary on 9-11. That's why I use that example. And one man that was there in the building, and he's calling, I mean, it's, you know, it's hopeless, but he's saying, hey, when are y'all going to come up here and save us? There's smoke everywhere. And right then on the phone, all of a sudden you hear this rumble, and his last words are, oh, God. Oh, God. What do you do in utter chaos when you're terrified, when all of a sudden it looks like you're about to hit another car coming head on? Many people, oh, God. There's deep down and understanding that there's God, but we suppress this due to our unrighteousness. Let it be a big tragedy, a personal crisis, and all of a sudden we begin to call out to him in one way or another. As followers of Christ, we begin to grow in our awareness of God. So, sinners, suppress the truth. 
as followers of Christ, we grow in our understanding and awareness of God. We begin to know God as our loving Father in heaven. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We also grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit as He bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Romans 8.16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then also of Jesus Christ. We come to know Jesus Christ living within our hearts. Ephesians 3.17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Or Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What do we see with this trinity in growing closer to our understanding of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that through time we doubt less in God's existence and we grow more and we trust more in His existence, that He is God. So as you grow in Christ, you have a firmer foundation as you grow that God is real. But you have to remember that there are many who are not growing closer to God, so they live in this world of saying that God does not exist. So the more you grow in Christ, the firmer your understanding who God is. That's why it's vitally important for us to grow as Christians. The privilege we have is to grow as Christians and understand God more. Okay? Meaning that we do not have to be suppressed by unrighteousness any longer. Excited. So hear that again. You do not have to be suppressed by unrighteousness any longer. Whereas before, you had no choice in the matter. You had no choice as a sinner separated from God, a wretched being. You were suppressed by your unrighteousness. You didn't choose that. You didn't go out seeking to do that. That is a result of your sin. But yet, grace comes along. And we are enlightened of the truth. And then we are no longer held captive by sin, but by God's grace. And we no longer have to suppress the truth. We can live out the truth. So here's the second thing that we were talking about earlier. So we see that there's something inward within man. So what can you do with that right there? Number one, what can you do with that? Understand that when you're sharing the gospel, if you really believe that what we just talked about, if you really believe that and what Romans 1 is saying, that Inwardly within every man, he believes that there's God, but there's a suppression from the unrighteousness. If you believe that, when you go share the gospel, you will not put it on you, right? A lot of times we do that. We get offended when people don't want to hear the gospel, so we don't share the gospel. No, understand this. You will go seek to share Jesus tonight, tomorrow, through the rest of the week, and there are going to be people who don't want to hear it. Church, tell me why they don't want to hear it. What's that? Okay. I'm just going to answer for us all. Sum that up. It's the suppression of the truth. Suppressing the truth. They don't want to hear it due to sin. But they have no hope without hearing the gospel. You take it to them. I take it to them. Okay? That's what we do with that first part. Okay? Number two, believing the evidence in Scripture and nature. So the Bible concludes, okay, and assumes that God exists. Right? The Bible's not trying to defend that God exists. 
All right? Not trying to present some evidence here to say, hey, if you're wondering, God exists. No, the Bible already concludes that God exists. He is the author. Okay? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's no doubt there. Nobody else is in the picture. Nobody's hanging out here. It's God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Nobody else is around, and he creates the heavens and the earth. Man himself is created in the image of God, okay, who most abundantly bears witness to the existence of God. So whenever we meet another human being, we should be amazed. Like, I look at all of you, and we all look different. Good crowd, by the way. Glad you're here tonight. But I look at you, we're all different. Isn't that awesome? I mean, wouldn't it be bad if you all look like me? Okay, all right? If we all look like me, just imagine that kind of world. But no, uniquely, he has created us different. And yet we have different personalities. We have different ways of dealing with things. We have different gifts. I mean, some of you are really good at singing. Some are not so good at singing, all right? And that's okay, but we all sing together, right? Um, it, we have different hobbies that we like to do. I mentioned hunting a minute ago, and some of you rolled your eyes, okay? And you're thinking, and I'm thinking, man, you're missing out. You don't know how fun it is, right? And you like to do other things. We're different in so many ways. But when we begin to look at the details, we ought to be amazed by each other. Just go, wow, look at what God is doing. I'm, I'm amazed that I know how selfish we can be how stubborn we can be, how mean we can be. And yet, we gather together in such love. I just step back and go, God, what a great work you're doing. And see, when we see each other, we should, although we see men struggling with sin, if we can just look at that person and say, God, you created that person, there's a reason why they're here on this earth. And take it from that vantage point instead of trying to look at that person opposite from God's creation. Okay, whether what I mean is whether we look at their attitude that they're displaying that day, and that may intimidate us. Okay, or we look at their outer appearance and say, "I don't like them because they're not like me." If we can look past that and say, "God created this individual," it is worth going and sharing the gospel with them. That changes things, right? All of a sudden, we we understand that life matters. Like life matters. Like God's creation matters. It is good. Now, it's been affected by sin, but yet it is good. So we should look at each other and go, wow, God, you are good. Um, if i got time, I'll tell this quick story. One time there was a kid that was, uh, I really don't have time to share a story. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, there was a kid that was on the beach, and he <laughs> told his youth pastor, he said, I really, I'm struggling today. And, and the youth pastor said, well, what's wrong? He said, I, there are a lot of pretty girls out on the beach. He said, I get it. I get it. You're young. A lot of pretty girls. You're having a hard time at the beach. He said, yeah. yeah. He said, okay, look. He said, well, here's the deal. Do you want to see a pretty girl come by? He said, you just turn and look to the heavens, raise your hands, and just say, praise God. Praise God. Okay? He said, just do that, and I guarantee you, you'll give glory to God, and you, you won't struggle with anything else. And he said, five minutes later, he looks, and the boy's walking down the beach going, praise God. Praise God. Wonderful. So, I just think that's funny. But anyway, so when you look at God's creation, at times we are led into doing things that are not good. We're hindered by sin. If we can understand that God has created each person, my, how that would change our struggles that we may have one to another. When we look and 
say that God created that person and, and they have much more worth than our own personal entertainment by viewing them, right? So, further excellent evidence is in nature. We see Acts 14, 16 through 17. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Now understand this. He allowed them to walk in their own ways. You get that? God allowed lost man to walk in his own ways. He allowed it. But how did he show his goodness? By sending rain. By sending fruitful seasons. God did that to reveal himself. And yet it's the hardest of man that he still didn't see these things. He revealed it in his nature. So when rains came, when fruitful seasons came, and they had food, God was revealing himself. Psalm 19, 1 and 2. David says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Like tonight, when you leave, by this time, when you leave tonight, it should be dark outside. You look up, and if you can see stars, you go, God, that's your handiwork. That's what David's saying. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So he's revealing himself through all that's around us. Everything that exists gives evidence to God's existence. Everything created reveals God made me. He is all around us. But a sin-corrupted heart looks around and says, God did not create a thing. It just so happened. Okay? We base our hope on an endless amount of evidence through his creation. These evidences can all be seen as valid proofs for the existence of God, even though some people reject them. This does not mean that the evidence is invalid in itself, only that those who reject the evidence are evaluating it wrongly. Let me read that again, okay? These evidences can all be seen as valid proofs for the existence of God, even though some people reject them. This does not mean that the evidence is invalid in itself. Only that those who reject the evidences are evaluating it wrongly. And that, church, is why we have the Word of God. It's why we hold to Scripture, because with Scripture, we gain our knowledge and understanding. We do not gain our knowledge and understanding from man. Man is evaluating it all wrongly. Scripture evaluates it in its proper context. And here we take the word to the world. So let me share four things with you, and then we're going to break into our groups and have a few minutes of prayer here. Some traditional proofs for the existence of God. I'm going to go by these real quick, okay? Number one, the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument considers the fact that every known thing in the universe has a cause. Every known thing in the universe has a cause. That is the cosmological argument. Meaning that the cause of such a great universe can only be God. When we look around, we can say it can only be God who has created all of these things. Number two, okay, for one, we see the purpose. Number two, we see the order, the teleological argument. It focuses on the evidence of harmony 
order and design in the universe. That's what we're talking about when you just observe creation, seeing creation work together. Okay? We see this order within creation. Since the universe appears to be designed with a purpose, there must be an intelligent and purposeful God who created it to function this way. I mean, you just look at the gravitational pull that we have on the earth. And just recently, I must admit that, speaking of wildlife, I'll look to see what the fishing forecast will be this weekend. And you can look and you can see the moon face. The moon face tells you whether you can expect a good fishing day or a bad fishing day. All right? I know I'm relating to a lot of outdoor stuff tonight, but let's talk about creation. Okay? And so you look at that and you go, wow, so much works together. Curry will tell you this. There's many times when we travel on the road, and anytime, right, you just nod your head, Curry, if this is true, but when the cows are standing up, I always say, fish must be biting, all right? Because if the cows are standing up and feeding, the fish must be biting. Because one day I went fishing, and the cows were sitting down, and my buddy said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, it's going to be a slow day. And I thought, why? He said, because the cows are sitting down. They're not eating. And I thought he was kidding. I didn't catch anything, so it must have been that the cows were sitting down, right? All right? Now, here's the deal. You see the creation works all together. Okay. Many things working at once and faithfully day after day. This is the teleological argument that there's order to our created world. All has a purpose in the way it functions. Number three, the ontological arguments begin with the idea of God who is defined as being greater than which nothing can be imagined. So the ontological argument begins with the idea of God. That's where you start with God, all things come from God. This is a traditional proof for the existence of God. There is God, everything comes from Him. That's what we as the church look to. Number four, the moral argument. This is the source of right and wrong. How do we know what's right and wrong? begins from man's sense of right and wrong. There must be a God who is the source of right and wrong and who will someday met out justice to all people. So if we do not have a righteous God, then how do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? If we say there is no God, we have laws, but all that's subjective to who's in leadership. I can do certain things and you say that's not right. And I'll say, why do you say that's not right? Who's the ultimate moral authority? All of us go around and we do things like this. You ought not do that. You shouldn't say that. You know better. Okay. And I heard one pastor explain it this way. He says, it's like we have imaginary uh, voice recorders around us. God puts an imaginary voice recorder around us and that it picks up every time we say, you ought not do that. You know better. And then one day when we stand before judgment, he takes that recorder off and he plays it. Time after time when we said, you ought not, you should, and he judges us, 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 of course, we did. Because ultimately we're saying that there is a right and wrong that we should be judged by. And all of us have fallen to this where we look to other people and expect things from them, but where does it all go back to? Where does the ultimate right and wrong go back to? It's God. Why is it wrong for man to be jealous? Well, it's not wrong for man to be jealous if God's not to be the one greatly to be praised, right? So if God's not on high and all worship should go to God, 
then it's okay for me to be jealous because it's all about me. Okay? You get it? Without God, jealousy, there's nothing wrong with jealousy. How do we know what true love is? Well, if there's no God, love is subjective in many different ways. But we learn love because God is love. So love begins with God. So you take away God from that picture, we don't have a true understanding of what love is. So everything begins with God. We know what is right and wrong based on God himself. So these are four traditional proofs for the existence of God that we look to. And let me just end with this. Only God can overcome our sin and enable us to be persuaded of his existence. So you need to chew on this, church. We need to chew on this together. If this is true, that man by his unrighteousness suppresses the truth, it is only by God's grace that we are enabled and can be persuaded of his existence. It's not going to naturally happen in man. It's not. Please show me any biblical evidence that will naturally happen in sinful man that he will say that God exists. There's got to be a work of grace from God. And so with this, we see a few supporting passages. 2 Corinthians 4.4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is Satan doing? He blinds the minds of unbelievers. He holds them captive. They cannot see. They will not see until the grace of God intervenes. That's what we see, 2 Corinthians 4.4. They're blinded. Man is truly blinded. See, we say things all the time. We're like, man, yeah, man's blinded by sin. What does that mean? Somebody who's blind can't see. It's not like that some days they can see and other days they can't see. If you're blind, you can't see. Which means if you're dead, you don't breathe. You don't have a heartbeat, right? Man's blinded. He can't see. keeps him from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But if you want to be encouraged, look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Okay? 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Why is it considered folly? Because man in his foolishness looks to the gospel and says, that's foolish. But truly, he is the foolish one. The gospel is folly, but through that it pleases God that what we preach, it may save those who believe. That's why we keep preaching. That's why we don't give up. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where we find our faith to keep going. So to sum all this up, we are dependent upon God to remove the blindness and irrationality caused by sin and to enable us to evaluate the evidence rightly and believe what Scripture says and come to saving faith in Christ. So tonight, this is only the beginning. We have much to look at when it comes to the doctrine of God, but we begin with His existence. And how do we know that He exists? There's something deep within us. We see that it's hindered by the unrighteousness. As we're set free in Christ, we are free to believe and to follow and to trust and to grow in our understanding of God. 
And then also the evidence is found all around us. And of course, the evidence is found here in Scripture. And so these are the things that we pick up tonight. I hope that tonight you have been encouraged. And with this, we're going to break into our groups. We're going to have about 20 minutes here. And here's what I want you to do. Breaking into groups. Just a time of praise tonight that God is creator. And that we'll recognize. And here's how you can pray for the lost tonight, those who do not know Jesus. Pray for the unrighteousness within them and pray for the light of Christ to intervene. Pray for them. Pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. Those who are at your work, that you'll share the gospel with tomorrow. Ask that God already be working on their hearts so that the unrighteousness would not suppress the truth. That's one way you can pray for the lost tonight. Also, pray for the power of the Word to go forth, that people see the truth of the Word of God, and they see God at work. And pray also that you will be mindful that when you walk out of this place tonight, you look up into the sky, when you wake up in the morning, you see that amazing sunrise, when you look to your loved ones, when you look to your friends, you look to your neighbors, you'll praise God and what He has created. And that we'll have a great respect of man, no matter where he is from, whether he's male or female, or struggling, whether he's male or female. And we will love them because God has created them, and we will go to them and share the gospel. Amen?